welcome. I want to welcome you to the first uh, podcast for Instrument hosted by our strategy discipline here. My name is Jessica Hartley. I am the VP of strategy at Instrument. I have been here a little more than a year and am excited to um, kick off our first podcast in a series focused on the intersectionality of racism and gender and uh, queerness as it relates to the advertising industry. Um, And so today we're going to talk a little bit about how we can uh, combat racism and uh, break down systemic racism and bias in the advertising industry, which is where uh, instrument sort of sits and just talk about where we are, where we're going and uh, some solutions for the future. So I'm excited to bring our panel here today to chat with us and I will turn it over to them to introduce themselves quickly. So I'll turn it over first to Nishat. Nishat, you wanna introduce yourself to the folks? Yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Nishat Akhtar. I'm a creative director here at Instrument. Um, Really quick, I know since we're talking about intersectionality in terms of racism, gender, and uh, orientation, I just want to make sure we also all call in our pronouns to the name. So um, my pronouns are she, her. And yeah, I've been at Instrument for a couple years working on a variety of projects. Um, Not sure what else we want here, but maybe I'll pass it off to Leon. Hey, I'm Leon Anderson. I'm an executive producer here at Instrument. Um, been here for th- almost three years now. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, worked my way throughout the industry, working various types of uh, projects uh, here at Instrument, and then also working in engineering firms in house uh, with large corporations. So, uh, kind of bringing all of those experiences to the table to direct my current. Um, I'll hand it off to Ravi. Hey y'all, I'm Ravi uh, Mongia, he, him. Um, I've been at Instrument now, oh, and I'm a strategy director, by the way. Um, <laughs> by the way. By the way, not just a strategy director. Put a little bit of stank on that director part. By the way. <laughs> Minor details. And Minor I'm details. a strategy oh. director. <laughs> I was going to skip over my role because I forgot about that part of uh, the introduction. But um, I've been at Instrument on and off now for about um, seven or so years. Um, And I've also kind of been on the agency side of of the work as well as the brand side for a little bit. Um, So just having that perspective and kind of seeing how things run um, both in marketing and advertising all the way into um, some of the digital design efforts that we do. So, and even like um, user testing and research. So dipping my toes in a, in a lot of uh, different strategy elements. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Nishat and Leon and Ravi uh, for your time today and also for your labor, right? I mean, this is labor and this is work and education and and some knowledge dropping today. So thank you for that. And my pronouns are she and her. Um, So let me just kick us off and dive right in. So a a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity, uh, fortunate opportunity to write an article for Fast Company Magazine online. And the title of that article article was, you know, how, 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 how do industries, how can industries deliver transformational change for black professionals? And for today, you know, we'll, we'll talk about being black in the industry, but we've got the United Nations on this call right now. So I want to talk about what it means to be a person of color and a woman of color, right? Um, And uh, talk about that. And so part of the article was just uh, outlining my experiences being a a black executive in advertising and also just kind of broadly, more broadly corporate America. And then talking about some sort of concrete solutions for how organizations and particularly executive teams can have accountability. Right. Um, But first, I want to start like, how are you guys feeling? I mean, it is uh, amazing and also like horrifying at the same time that, uh, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, um, uh, the sort of continuous uh, murder uh, murders of Black folks by uh, police and, and just a lot of injustices that have been around for forever, 
now it's like everybody's waking up and paying attention and like, oh my gosh, we didn't know it was that bad. Or, oh my goodness, we didn't recognize that the way in which we do things and the way in which we work, particularly in the advertising industry, uh, were harmful. So I just want to get like a pulse on how you guys are feeling about this it feels like a moment, but I feel like it's also, I've been using this word, a movement as well, and that's not new as well. So let me kick it off first to you, Nishat, and then you guys just jump in about like how you're feeling about where we are right now in this moment. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. I think like, <clears throat> you know, you just are, you just described obviously a few layers and there's like just more and more that get put on it every day, both from, you know, how... Obviously, what's happening critically and what has been happening, happening critically to, you know, black folks in our nation um, at the hands of police is like truly, uh, you know, mortifying. And what's interesting, I think, is like and in addition to the pandemic and then also we have to show up to work every day. And in Portland, there has been this presence of federal agents that has been, um, you know, causing all kinds of extra beef in our city. And I think that. You know, all of these different layers is very, really challenging to navigate. Um, previously, I think, or in my life, I have always been uh, active in standing up for, you know, po political movements, for black advocacy, for brown advocacy, for immigrants, for all these things. Um, but sort of in the last few months, the, the confluence of these issues coming into the workplace um, and seeing people who have maybe either never spoken about it, addressed it, or been activated around it is like both very uh, like validating and also extremely confusing because suddenly there is, you know, people at all levels of understanding of, um, of the issues of black lives in America. Um, there are people of all different layers of sort of activation for that. Um, and there are, and everyone is sort of seated in the same room. Whereas previously, I think like a lot of those conversations that I've had over the course of like my life and like, uh, I don't know, activist life is everyone's kind of at the PhD level. And suddenly you've got people bumbling around at the kindergarten level, which isn't wrong, but trying to navigate that um, in the workplace while also sort of having this uh collective sort of bar of intelligence for the work simultaneously is like, like I said, both validating and really, and also confusing and challenging. I think it's a really uh, important but complex space to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, the, so when you're in the middle of a long-term project uh, and then somebody asks you the question of, Hey, I know you're totally underwater right now. We brought in this person to help you out. And then there's that moment where you're just like, I don't have time to like onboard you, catch you up to speed, get you into the context of everything that's going on. I need you to just like the best thing you can do right now is sit, absorb and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And that is exactly what this feels like mm. um, in that. I've got context of life. I've been living this. There are other people who have been part of the movement that have been doing it to a level that I am absolutely in awe of. And now, like Nishat, you said, this is the outside world is forced indoors. And instead of having one person that is needing to be onboarded, you have 215 people mm. that are wanting to be onboarded. Mm. And all of them want to be or want to portray that they are coming in at that level. Like they're coming in at mm -hmm. intermediate or at master. But in reality, it's like, yo, if you haven't been talking about this until March, you're an intern. Like, <laughs> <laughs> for real, that's like, you are a racial justice intern right now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you need to just like do your reading Talk amongst yourselves, like figure out what you can bring to the table because I don't have time to onboard you into this right now. And I want to, like my heart is there and I want to bring you along, but there's just so much like that the pyramid is the wrong way uh, here. And so yeah. there's so few people who have the experience leading and so many people who are trying to be part of it. That yeah. it's quite overwhelming. Yeah. 
how do you break down like an individual's life, an individual like uh, an individual's life experience, and additionally four hundred years of context in one, you know that one hour onboarding? I think that that's like so pointedly stated. While not getting people stuck in four hundred years of history, because there's also two thousand years before that of black history that when we focus on that 400 years, which is really important for the conversation that we're trying to have, you still end up tokenizing an entire race of people. It shouldn't be your your job to onboard, you know, the people, (laughs) the the interns too, right? You as a black man who who has lived this, um, you know, your, uh, your entire life, like that's, that's the job of like the, the interns and the people that are like, you know, more on the junior level to like, listen, read, teach them, teach themselves what they don't know yet and be okay with that because, and acknowledge that, right? I think what you said was like really, really um, important of some people trying to portray themselves like on the master level, but then you see like, where, where they check themselves if someone else checks them and you're like, okay, well, like, let's just all, let's just all be upfront about where we are in our journey. And that's okay to be upfront on where we are in our journey because they're, the journey is not, not ending anytime soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or ever. I think like even, even that sort of like paradigm that I outlined of like the sort of the PhD and the kindergartner, it's like, frankly, like one of the things that's like gotten us into this mess is the unwillingness to sort of wade into the mess, into the messiness and to start to detangle it. And therefore like that's on everyone really. Like everyone is at different levels and to commit to a lifetime of flexibility, which certain folks, like I think that, you know, Brown, black, queer, trans folks have had to like, you know, navigate context switch, you know, uh, be flexible in all kinds of different scenarios. And that flexibility is something that we all kind of have to keep in our, in our minds. And when we yes. talk about like the interns, it's like, this is things, things change, language changes, context changes. And we have to sort of be while like be really thoughtful around that. Like just because even if for me, like I'm, you know, I've made maybe deep in learning and my own experience of racism and everything like that, but that doesn't mean I'm done, finished, perfect, right. know everything. Right. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I think for me, oh man, so many things, so many things. We're not getting I, through this list of questions. I, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think, I think a few things I, I love to say, I mean, we know that learning is ongoing, right? I mean, it is continuous. We are, it, we, and I mean, we're talking about learning and talking about a journey. And I mean, for me, a big part of this is like, particularly for white people, it's like you are evolving. Like literally there's an evolutionary process, right? The the brain, your brain cells and synapses and they're firing on and in, in, in new ways that they haven't even before. And so part of my struggle um, in this and sitting at in an executive level, right, um, is, is sort of watching people, again, this idea that... Um, that they're unique or that there's different because they have, you know, several more black friends or they've hired a few more people of color than others and that they think they truly are evolved. And I'm like, but you're not. Stop thinking that you're special. Stop thinking that you're unique because the minute that you do that, you start to, to um, you know, think that you're better than others. Think that you don't have blind spots, right? We've been talking a lot about blind spots. Like where are the places in which you think you are woke or focused? woke as I like to say but like let's talk about how that plays out in real world and and that for me those people are actually more dangerous for me because they think they know they think they figured it out they think they've solved it because they've read you know read one more book um, than others and those people are dangerous and I think for me it's like we are always learning we as even people of color are always learning in this journey I'm learning what it means to show up in a different way with one foot in multiple worlds, one foot in the executive team, one foot in being a black woman, right? Well, being black and then being a woman, right? And, and how do you navigate that? Um, that's, I guess, I guess for me, I'd love to hear just <clears throat> how are you finding some of the challenges showing up in the work today? Like the work we have in the building today, um, how are you finding some of these challenges showing up? The bias, um, the blind spots, just like what people are missing. One, because the their lived experiences are different, 
but also too, I mean, as we look at the advertising industry and corporate America overall, I mean, we've watched these numbers drop from some of these holding companies that are finally, 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 right? Like Emperor's, you know, has on no clothes, sort of showing what their diversity stats are. And we know there's not enough. Like in stop, we knew there wasn't enough and now we have seen the numbers to back it up. So how are you seeing this show up in the work today? Um, I mean, I know for, for us, Nishat and I, we're on the same team. And, and I think something that we often talk about and something that we try to make sure that um, always shows up in the work is how are we, how are we representing like a, a diverse, diverse team um, when we cast our project and also make sure that diverse thinking is like applied to the projects that we do. Because for so long, you know, there have been just more of homogenous project teams. And it's something that we, as, as a company that has values and says what their values are, it's, it's our responsibility as leads on the team. And not just us as like people of color um, leads, but like all leads to make sure that those values and, and commitments are being um you know, shown through in the work and how we cast teams and how we make sure that, um, you know, representation is there and like the thinking and the work and the honestly, just even the people in the room. Right. So. Yeah, I'll echo that. I think like we're, we're trying, we're trying our best to be as thoughtful around that as possible. And, and, you know, we're, we are definitely running into uh, issues around it too. Like our team is the youngest team at Instrument and we've been able to be perhaps more thoughtful than others in terms of building a team with that level of care, uh, with that level of care um, overall and then per project. Um, but we still, we are still running into it. I think we have, we have projects that are specifically meant to be aiding the BIPOC community and we don't necessarily have people that are representative of those communities on our team, on our project teams. And that doesn't for us, um, to, not, not to say that, you know, a, per, a, a person, a per, an individual, a uh, black or indigenous person is an individual is a representative of an entire culture, um, nor should they be ne- necessarily. They may be a designer or a writer or a producer, and that's the discipline that they're meant to represent. But we also think it's important to bring the value of that ver- variety of perspective. And when you're working for a particular community and no one in the room uh you know, can necessarily speak to that from a genuine way. I think that that's like something that we, we're kind of taking a hard look at and doing our best as Ravi was saying. And then also just like dealing with a history of, uh, you know, the homogenous staffing and recruiting and all of this and sort of inheriting that and wondering like, where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. Leon, I, you and I had a interaction. We've been working on a, uh, some, some projects together recently. And I just think about the a conversation that you and I had um, for a particular project that we're working on right now and talking about, um, you raised, right? This idea, not idea, but just this, the point that of this pillar that the client had outlined around equality, right? Which a lot of our clients are now like highlighting, right? They've got all these pillars and now they're talking about equality. But you'd raise like part of the, what we've been talking about was democratization of content and democratization of access, uh, which also means at the end of the day, how how do more BIPOC, how do more immigrants, how do more international and global audiences um, <clears throat> have access, right? Um, and so how are you feeling as it relates to, the ability to speak up, right, and be more vocal about that maybe now and moving forward versus how you might have felt um, in the past. Yeah, um, it's actually interesting in that I feel like I have more opportunities to speak up because the words are put out there. Someone says, like, or a client, the company says, hey, this is one of our core pillars is equality. And I'm like, well, maybe you should say equity instead of equality, but we're baby steps, <laughs> baby steps. We'll get there. But you say that and then potato, potato. Absolutely. <laughs> and then it's like, cool. But then this had the conversation we had was this has not come up as one of your strategic goals for uh, this specific product that we're building. Like it hasn't come up in any of the briefs. It hasn't come up in any of the documentation. Um, I, struggle because I don't have that direct client relationship with the account manager. I'm more on the like working with the folks in the field who actually have to get it done. 
And so I can surface the conversations at my level, but if it's not surfaced at the executive level or at the stakeholder level, then it doesn't go anywhere. Um, but then, you know, getting that alignment, we start to come into this. Now it's like, cool, everybody's using the words that's coming up in a lot of the meeting, meetings, but what is the output that shows up on paper? So we're talking about democratizing uh, the experience and making sure that it's representative of all world cultures, whatever that might mean. Um, but then I see the design assets come through and I'm just like, awesome, cool. You got Japan, you got the Alps, you got the desert Southwest and you have Hawaii. All of those you have from a very uh, colonist perspective of like when you're talking about Hawaii, it's relaxing on a beach and vacationing. Uh, Alps obviously is just the Alps. Desert Southwest, it's like somebody uh, kind of that explorer in the Southwest. So someone venturing into the uncharted territories that oh, you know Lewis people are. Have... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So it's yeah, like that's not problematic at all. <laughs> so then I'm like, all right. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming Japan is like a safe international vacation, right? Oh, Just Jap enough, right? Exactly. Yeah. Japan is like cherry blossoms and etc. And so then I asked the question, I'm like, all right. Where do I become a nuisance versus being provocative and progressive? Um, and so I'm like looking at the timeline of delivery. I was like, well, guess this will have to go. Like this will have to do. So it's just like finding that line of when to have the conversations. And unfortunately, uh, especially being working at an agency for a client, you're often brought into situations when it's kind of too late to make some of those like big decisions that will go public. And so, you know, I really challenge those who are on that account services level and interacting with these clients who will be long-term clients. We know that there's going to be more projects with them. How do you have the conversations before the project kicks off a year before they even know just it's, it's business. Like we're outside of their red tape. We're outside of their bureaucracy. We can see the areas that they're missing and we can say like, hey, watch out for that landmine. These are the things that you need to have in place. So, um, yeah, that's a long answer to no, that's good. probably a short question. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, that was the question. I mean, Robbie, some of the work that you've been working on um, is, you know, directly impacting black and brown communities. How have you felt, um, you know, being one of only a few, one of only one, and one of only a few, right in a team that is working on work, you know, supporting black and brown communities and finding that balance? I think a little bit of what uh, Leon has talked about, both pushing back, I love that, provocative and progressive, right, uh, internally, but also sometimes with the clients, like in their face, because you have some of those direct relationships with clients totally and i i mean i think it, it is having like the um asking some of those hard questions up front so just so like for one we we have to know like where does the client stand and kind of like where where are they at um with this work and ultimately like what's their goal right like when you're talking about impacting black and brown communities like we we kind of we just have to interrogate what that goal actually means um for them and making sure that you know, there, it's a responsibility on our, our part, I feel like, to, to make sure, you know, as um, a client, you know, as someone that we're working with, that we're really partnered with them to, to, to show them, like, you know, what the right goal is and make sure that we're, we're, we are asking those uh, provocative questions um, to get there. And also, like, you know, um, thinking about, you know, some of the stuff that we've been talking internally, making sure that the right voices are represented in the room, whether it is getting ahead of that in a project planning phase and making sure, you know, one of our strategists has done an incredible job um, on another, a complete other project of having his own like advisory committee, right? And how do you bring in an advisory committee? That one is to like um, people volunteer to do. So you're not necessarily asking them for that additional burden that they're already facing in their, in their real life but also that their um, their time is being really mindful and that they're either compensated 
um, you know, for that, for their time that they're spending on this, because we have to all acknowledge that it is an additional burden, um, bringing the, you know, their voices in the room for representation. Um, you know, even on, on the one project that you're referring to Jessica, like us kind of going out of the way of, it wasn't a client deliverable, but we thought it was really important to make sure that we had, um, research and we interviewed people, even though it wasn't part of the scope to make sure, you know, where we're headed, we have like a North star based on not, not even just like the BIPOC community, but the, the younger um, BIPOC community that's really active in activism and, um, you know, giving back efforts and making sure that we have that North Star when we, when we go into these projects and we're not going off of, um, you know, any biases on the team or, you know, we just have some of that objective, um, uh, you know, just thoughts, honestly, from, from, from um, the BIPOC community. I think... I, th I think, yeah, um, I'm working on that too with Ravi. And I yeah. think that there's like, and I've been, in, been bear witness to those conversations with our clients and just being completely real with them. And I think really formerly, perhaps there may have been a fear of this sort of series of things, which is like, could I lose this client because I asked them this? Could I lose my job because I asked them this? And am I putting my reputation on the line? And I think when we think about like the client relationship, your reputation and your, um, you know, in your position and your position itself. Um, and I think now we are really catalyzed and hopefully we, we must be catalyzed to be able to feel uh, more safe to have those conversations now. Because really, frankly, if we don't have those conversations with our client now and interrogate that in the work, the result in the work is going to go out into the world and then be seen, called out, interrogated, which will also all the way come all the way back to us, what we didn't ask the client. How does that reflect our reputation? How does that reflect our, our job? So um, I think that, you know, in, in a for, in a former world that that may have may have been a fear that drove people to ha uh, not have those questions or conversations before. But now I think that we like perhaps all and all must understand that the responsibility is actually to, I don't know, continue to secure to secure those things. Yes, yes, yes. I agree a hundred percent. I think <sighs> cosign on all the things. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. Even some of you on this phone. Like, <laughs> if I speak up, I, you know, promise me you'll write me a recommendation letter if I think I'm going to lose my job. Right. And I'm like, you are not going to lose your job. I said that on the call yesterday. You're not going to lose your job. Right. But I understand that fear because in the past it has happened when people were vocal, maybe not in this organization necessarily, but we know that that is Part of systemic racism, <laughs> the faces on this, on this call. Uh, but can you like, hear an eyebrow raise? I did. Is that, I, I that audible? Head tilt, head tilt, right? But nobody's losing their job right now. If you lose your job, then you're crazy and lawsuits and all of that. But like for me, I'm like, this is the moment where we have to speak up. We have to claim that power back, right? I mean, that power was either never bestowed upon us or taken from us. And we're at a moment where we can claim that power and kind of pull that back. And we've got to use it. Um, and I'm less worried now about my reputation because my, I'm like, my reputation sits outside of these four walls. And I think that's an important thing. We as POC also have learned, like, I cannot tether my reputation, who I am, my entire identity to one organization. Because if you do, you will be let down. They will let you down, right? Um, so my identity and who I am uh, just in general, I mean, these are life lessons, right? Not just POC lessons, right? It's tied to who I am internally and what I do outside these four walls, if you will, not just inside these four walls. What were you going to say, Leon? You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, like, all of this kind of comes back to that trust, though. Um, and, you know, it's this conversation is easy to have when I see black and brown faces staring back at me uh, on this We're Zoom call. Smiling it's back. We're not staring. staring. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cry for help, everyone. <laughs> if you're listening to me right now. The man is always listening, Leon. But like when you are the only black or brown, like BIPOC person on a call, unless... It's a call with a tech team 
in which case you are the only black person uh, <laughs> amongst a sea of a company's entire diversity. Um, it's hard to like, it's hard to trust that room. Um, especially when like, I look at my vertical and I look up and down the producer core and I'm like, who's, who's understanding my perspective and who has my back and can walk side by side with me on this journey. And I don't, I don't have that. So when I'm going into these meetings and when I'm having internal meetings, it's like, I'm alone. And you're right. It's, I have been more vocal than others because I did not move here for instrument. I did not like, I have my life outside, which honestly is more important than my life within these walls. And so that gives me the freedom to be able to speak up. But there are people who like, this is their first or second job. They moved across the country to where there is a sense of beholdenness to uphold the status quo and to toe the party line. Because if I don't have this, what, what do I have? Where do I go from here? And the responsibilities on, and I just want to say like that whole thing about the, 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 um, the responsibilities on everyone. It's not just, it's certainly not just on the brown and black and queer communities. The responsibility is like on everyone. So hopefully there is, uh, you know, white leads and white execs and also any level of someone that can just see something, say something. The thing is, it's the ability to see something. Yes. You got to see it. You got to see, see, see it before you can say <laughs> yes, it. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that was that was where I was going to go next. Right. Because I feel like we are um, in this moment within our organization. And then also, you know, before I came here, I was at another very large global conglomerate corporation and uh, did a lot of this work. Right. A lot of this this labor uh, trying to create space for black and brown folks. Um, but like we're in this space where, uh, and we've been having these conversations internally around, yes, accountability absolutely sits with uh, CEOs and the C-suite to set the tone, to set the mood, the, to set the, the standards and, and all of this. But where are people experience systemic racism, right, at its core? Where we experience micro aggressions, where we experience the ridiculousness and craziness that makes you say, what the hell did they just say? Did I just hear that on a call? No, no, they didn't just say that, right? Um, is in your teams. And I mean, we're talking about teams here at Instrument because that's how we're organized, but most companies across the world are organized in teams. And so what's the responsibility, do you think, in accountability of those directors and those managers um, uh, in this as well. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I will say that whatever responsibility uh, we are asking for from executive leadership, that same level of accountability and responsibility needs to be at every at every version of that going down. Um, generally companies build their teams in the model of themselves. It's a fractal if you like step back and look at it. So the same way that the CEO, CFO and the COO kind of what they model is what will be modeled at a smaller scale on their teams. So it, it's distributed. And unfortunately, both the, uh, positive aspects of that relationship, that working style, and also the negative aspects get mirrored and distributed down. So um, saying to put it on the team's leadership and to say like, hey, you're also accountable and responsible for this, in no way does that take any um, onus and responsibility off of the executive team. It's like, now I just have more people that I'm holding responsible for getting this done. And also because I'm part of that system, I am a piece of that. I'm holding myself accountable for this. Like, I slip up, I mess up all the time. There's tons of areas that I have blind spots to. 
And it's on me to make sure that I'm checking myself and I hope that my teammates are checking me as well. Yeah. Maybe not in front of other people, but you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I don't know. Robbie, what do you think? I mean, you're, I mean, we're seeing this, right? Like we're at a moment where yes, our C-suite are making commitments, making statements, talking to third parties, going to get more training. But I know we're all leaders at our organization and we're also looking around like our peers, (laughs) like y'all need some training too. Like y'all looking up, but again, you need to look out. Yeah, totally. I mean, exactly what you said. I mean, I think Nishad even said, I don't, I don't know if I'll quote her specifically, but not just like, uh, looking, um, one, yes, looking inside, but also looking, um, to your left and right too. Right. Cause it is, it is a collective responsibility and it's not just, it's not just on, um, a single person at the top. It's making sure that like us on our teams are upholding what we're hearing and what we're like hopeful and optimistic about like the change to see, because, because if we don't do that, then, um, the 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 never ending journey is going to be even longer, right. Of, of like what we're trying to change. So, um, they're just, they're just an overall collective responsibility. And I think, you know, what Leon, what you said, like, I, I also have blind spots, right. Like, and there are things that like in the, in the heat of the moment, like you just, you, you tend to forget and you want to check yourself. Like, um, you know, I need a shot to check me too. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, just as leads on the team and, and making sure that we're with our same with our clients, right. And, and the other leads that, that we're working with, that we feel like we can ask the, the tough questions with people that we're even more comfortable with, that we're like talking to on a daily basis. Like that's where the real, um, I think the real uh, good tension is going to come from. Um, Totally. I think that there's this sort of um, idea of doing the work. And what I mean by that is like, you know, this internal collective work, this internal collective anti-racist work within our organization, within ourselves. Um, And simultaneously while doing the client work. work. (laughs) So like doing the work while doing the work um, is like, is a, is a, you know, multiplied commitment that also has to have sort of not only a collective vision, but an expansive vision. Because if we have a core curriculum of what the first doing the work means, great. But guess what? Other things come up and other things are important. And there may be a moment in our city that we need to focus on for a second, or there may be a moment with an individual that we need to focus on it for a second. Um, and being able, again, to like have that sort of flexibility and malleability um, takes a collective sort of, you know, agreement that, OK, we're going to do the work while doing the work. And that's I mean, it's not easy. But you know what? Like if that idea of responsibility of accountability is uh, if it's inside our DNA, like then it's not extra work yeah, yes, because you're right, you're it's right. fully infused into every action that totally, we do. Totally. Like, DE and I shouldn't be an another thing that we have to focus mm, on. It mm. should be part of everything that we yes. focus on. Uh, we're not going to get there overnight. I know that, but like we have to have that mindset of like, Hell all yes. right, let me start to like get the food coloring, moving up the celery stick. It's not. Did no one else do that science experiment yes, as a kid? The, the celery stick and also the, the, the dandelion. No, is that a cultural? No, you. I, like, no, it's not. No, it I, might be. It might be you because think it like is? my like mom I, was definitely like, "You're doing the same experiment all five years of science fair because I don't have the, time uh, to do the this." The dandelion for you. was it a dandelion too, where you could change the colors of if you put the color or even change roses, like you put food coloring in the water and it goes up. No, it's no. I don't think this is a cultural thing. I didn't pay much attention in school, so that could. <laughs> <laughs> That's another yeah. conversation for another exactly what thing. Jessica's saying. If it's in the water, it'll infuse yes. into yes. the entire organism. Yes. Hell yeah! I mean, and it'll that, change the that, way it looks and the way it acts. That is why, like, I, I am, I am beating this drum and will continue. And you guys, your cross, 
different uh, disciplines, um, strategy, production, creative, some of our most important disciplines that really drive an impact on the work and how the work shows up and how it shows up in the world. And I'm like, we need to start at the basics, at the root. How are we scoping work? How are we thinking about work? How are we building work? Who are we putting on the work? Like, we have not done that yet. Like that is some, because that is how you break down where does systemic racism show up, right? And, and we're just, we're, we're, we're putting some icing on an ugly cake right now, right? We're doing all this surface level stuff, but we need to go back to the basics. Like how are we surf? How are we scoping this work? How are we thinking about approaching this work? Um, yeah. How do you, I mean, if you can't throw out the cake, like, what do you do? I mean, I know you can like put it in a bowl of milk and add sugar or whatever and like call it bread pudding or if that's how that works. But I mean, Here we go in like, another analogy. <laughs> well, y'all didn't do that in school? <laughs> yeah, like how, to, how do you how remix How to extend it? the life of your bad bread. Yeah, like um, it's the remix, right? Like how do you remix it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. sometimes the remixes are better than the originals, right? Like, Indeed. But like that's the question. It's like, and I think that's one of the hardest parts with um, the history of systemic racism is like, I can't, this is being bitten from a stand-up comedian, someone who I don't know who it was, but basically they were like, hey, you gave us a shit sandwich and asked us to eat that shit sandwich. And that was all the food that we had. And eventually we were able to say, I'm not going to eat this. And so you took that. And you took the shit out from in between the pieces of bread and you put it, the two pieces of bread back together. But I still know that there was shit on that sandwich. <laughs> so it's like, I, I'm not going to eat this. So I need a whole, I need a whole nother sandwich. Yeah. Like in this situation. You need a whole other meal. I'm I just need, like, no sandwich. And who's, yeah. we're, we're not yeah. eating sandwiches. We're eating samosas and Patties, yeah. Patties. right? Yeah, like <laughs> oh. that's what we're eating. Um, so I want to say thank you for the conversation and the laughter and the love um, and bearing a little bit of your souls today. And hopefully this will be helpful for um, some of the folks that will listen. I want to close by asking you guys, like, what are you hopeful for? What are you hopeful for? Um, you know, we're sort of talking about we're on this evolution. We're on this journey uh, we know that this isn't going to happen overnight. 400 years of oppression in sort of, uh, you know, modern slavery, thousands of years before that in terms of colonialism and slavery around the world. But like we're at this moment in time that's now become a movement. And like, what are you hopeful for? Let me and let me cap it. Like, what are you hopeful for one year from where we are today? Like if we do a redux of this a year from now, what are you hopeful for? Um, I am hopeful or hoping that uh, whoever the next black person is who interviews wherever they are interviewing has another, ha like, sees themselves in the room. That on that panel, they see another black face. And when they send the message through whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's other um, avenues of communication that I won't share with the masses right now and say like, hey, thanks for being on the interview, but what's it really like? That the answer that comes back is, you know, it's tough, but we're working on it. There's progress. Um, and so I think that's all I can really hope for at this point. Um, and I know that seems like a very small thing, but I think we also need to be targeted and focused because if we make too broad of like desires to make changes in the next year, it's gonna, it's gonna fail. It's like, I'd rather have one piece of excellence than 20 pieces of mediocrity. Yeah. You know, to that point, to that point, Leon, I think like something that I'm hopeful for is, you know, when we're talking about targets and being really, really specific and we're talking a year from now and we're not talking five, 10 years, um, 
what I'm really hopeful for is, you know, I think something that we've talked about for a long time um, is this term of like safe spaces, um, you know, for for BIPOC community um, in the places that we work. Um, and honestly, like something that we talked about on our call yesterday of like, how do we make sure that when you do look left and right as a as a BIPOC person that you see someone else on your team? So whether that is like having these really specific, um, uh, for lack of a better term, like mandates of, you know, you know, two, and I'm just using kind of like our space in Portland as an example, but like, because, you know, there is a huge white community here, but like at least two to three, like BIPOC um, people on a project together. So then there is that like confidence and feeling that you're not the only one in the room feeling this way and then you can speak up about like any questions you have about a project or anything like that like I, I hope that we can eventually get there maybe even one year is like too ambitious for that type of goal but um i'm 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 hoping that that we can get there and and we have like a collective support system in the building and on our projects wow y'all have that's great i love that I love that. Such, that's such a, that's such a beautiful dream to have. I, I like, I feel like honestly, my, my, my eyes and my mind have a hard time even envisioning something that's so like something like that, which is actually really sad to me. Like to, to like, I feel that in my heart that it's like, wow, why couldn't I even like imagine something like that until you painted it? Uh, so thank, thank, thank you both for doing that. I mean, I, 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 honestly, like working with you, Nishad has kind of been like an, an inspiration for like, oh. Just, just just seeing it as like real a possibility. Talk. Real talk. Yeah, I mean that, that's real talk. Like I haven't I haven't been um, you know on a team where I felt like I, we can't have really real like we've had conversations about this right on like other teams and stuff like that. But like real conversations where someone else is also advocating for stuff like this, and, you're, and it's not necessarily falling on deaf ears. So, ah, uh, Rob, I feel the same. I feel the same way about you. That's so sweet. Um, and hell yeah, I I think. Uh, I think that like to just have a hope that our, I think to echo something that Leon had said is this like commitment to anti-racism gets molded into the DNA and that not only are we looking around and seeing more BIPOC people on the teams, but I can look to other, I can look to white people and they're actually saying something before I have to say it or before Ravi has to say it or before Jessica has to say it or before Leon has to say it, that they're, that it, there is an understanding, and I think within a year that can be done. <laughs> I don't know, for fuck's sake, um, that that our you know the the white folks in the community within our walls are speaking up as quickly, rapidly, earnestly, and with heart in the same way that we all would about it, any any of these things that we're talking about. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, what am I hopeful for? Well, I think at a very basic level, I'm hoping that you all are still here and so am I. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are we talking a year? Or are we talking by the time this airs? Real talk, what? real talk, right? Um, uh, because we recognize, I recognize the labor that it is to be somewhere and be burdened with having to do the work um, and uh, being hopeful that where you're doing the work, that there is going to be change. Um, I am hopeful. Again, I feel like, I mean, I've been here a year, uh, been in this industry a lot longer. <clears throat> we won't start talking about years here, Leon, <laughs> right? Shot, here. here we go again. Here we go here again. We go again. Right? But I mean, the change that I've seen, and I'm going to call it change. I'm not going to call it transformational because transformation also implies longstanding permanent change, right? We're talking about change in DNA, which is not something uh, that you can do over the course of a few weeks. But just the changes that I've seen in the conversations that we are able to have even having this conversation where it's recorded, we're going to put it out there for the world to listen to, right? Um, just the spaces that we've been able to create, create the voices that we've been able to amplify. I am hopeful that a year from now, the conversations will be different because we will have made movement with more BIPOC in the building. 
Uh, we will have made movement about safe spaces because there will be more of us to help create more of those safe spaces. We're all doing the best we can, but our arms only extend so far, right? So we need more people to join arms with us. And some of those arms are going to be white as well. I'm with you. Like we need more of our counterparts to be a part of this. So I am hopeful for this. And I am hopeful that a year from now, we're talking more about, um, advancement. We're talking more about promotion. We're talking more about just better leadership and management across the agency. So how can just people be better leaders and better managers overall so um, they could look out for these things and be smart and thoughtful? Um, you know, there's this idea that everybody's like, oh, we're all good humans. I'm like, it is not enough to be a good human right? It is not enough to be a good human. Um, you've got to be a good leader and a good manager. So I'm hopeful that the conversation will have shifted in a year. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, um, the t-shirt uh, Leon kind of wore one of these calls where uh, I think it said Inten good intentions aren't enough. Good intentions are not enough from last year's Afrotech. Yeah. Yes. Good intentions are not enough. Yeah. So I wanna, yeah. I wanna, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like that right now we're in the sheet music phase Kind of thing like everybody's reading white fragility and all of the books and they talk about the books that they're reading and they quote the books that they're reading but we got to get to that jazz point where it's like people are just you're having the conversations like you know the main meter and like everyone can work in and out of that with their current understanding yes yes Yes, that's a better analogy than celery and colored water. <laughs> yeah. I had some time to think about that one while y'all were going around. Or, or uh, we remixed cake. <laughs> uh, bread pudding. Isn't that how you make it? <laughs> All right. Well, this is to be continued. I look forward to having more conversations about more, uh, more topics and intersectionality as it relates to design and strategy and production and creative. But I want to thank you all for your time today and uh, we will call that a wrap so thank you